The commercial for Diet Dr. Pepper says it tastes just like regular Dr. Pepper. Well, then, they screwed up. Mitch Hedberg. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping Kennedy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. We have a very special episode for you this week. They're all very special. But this week, we had two guests that dropped in, both former guests, playing a a movie trivia game. Hopefully, we're going to wrap up the um, list of 50 top movies that were liked by audiences more than they were by critics. But we had uh, air traffic controller Conrad Brombarek and drone pilot Nick Cassano both talking in to stop, stop, not talking in, stopping in to talk about FAA regulations. Um, So let's get to the episode. So something terrible has happened, and I'm not talking about current world events. I actually, and this is my fault, I lost the audio from Sunday's recording. That's why this isn't up when I wanted it to be. I planned it to to be up by now. It was supposed to be up this morning, posted last night. And when I went to go get the audio from the hosting service I use, I did not save it. That is on me. So anyway, uh, I did want to return to the list of top uh, top 50 movies that were overrated by audiences or underrated by critics or just there was a discrepancy between the two. I believe we had 18 left. Here's the thing, though. We're going to actually do something really quick before uh, because I said the apology up front wasn't because of recent events, but I do want to address recent events. And I also want to apologize to my two guests. We will have them on again. There was a lot going on here while we were recording that. Uh, So I thought just in light, like, you know, we're we're definitely going to talk about uh, some Silver Linings playbook stuff. We always do. This is, of course, the, you know, number one podcast. I'm, I'm just going to start saying that now. Right? We're the number one podcast for Silver Linings Playbook content, other than uh, the actual movie Silver Linings Playbook or the book Silver Linings Playbook, which are a little more Silver Linings Playbooky. even though I have, I have made a mention that I have written the manuscript for the first draft of uh, an anthology of Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction. I think we have 19 stories in there. But anyway, today's list, we are going to do a, a, a countdown. It was supposed to be a top 10 countdown, uh, but it is actually going to be like a little variation. Still, still the same fun, though. Uh, it is a top 10 countdown with 10 articles, but it is actually going to be nine tops and one bottom. Now, this is going to be weird when you hear what the list is because it's going to actually sound counterintuitive to what it should be. Uh, Today, we are counting down the top 
nine and counting up the top one, top nine overrated battles in history. And we are counting up the one most underrated battle in history. Now, what constitutes a battle? I don't know. There's all kinds of battles, right? But for, for the most part, we were talking about military exercise. You'll get the idea very quick. And let's let's start off um, with, well, actually, because uh, because like you have military battles and then you also have battles in the sense of like, I think uh, I was feuding, it was a one-way feud because they didn't know I existed. But uh, if you listen back to some early episodes where I had two parts and I don't think they were consecutive. I think there was actually a split in between them. Uh, but in some of the early episodes, there was there was a two-parter where I sort of broke down a, uh, a bad review by I believe it was a New Yorker or a New York a New York Times film critic, uh, Mr. Brody, uh, who who was basically saying that Silver Linings Playbook was really rather kitschy, and and then when I did a little further investigation, that further investigation being, um, we're just being honest, straightforward. I I didn't do any research or uh, peer evaluated studies didn't submit to any cinema science journals or anything. I basically, I just read really close. I did a couple Google searches and thank you Wikipedia a lot for what I think was a stunning evisceration uh, breakdown of where he was wrong on his breakdown of Silver Linings Playbook. And so he and I went back and forth a little bit. By back and forth, I mean, basically I went back and I'm still awaiting waiting uh, a response to my criticism of his criticism. So uh, New York Times critic Brody. And I want to say, I want to say his first name is Richard. I don't even, I'm not even clearly taking the time to look up what his name was from the early episode. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me about how you can either come on the podcast or if you ever want to post uh, about me or something, um, feel free to. But you can always reach out at the Silver Linings Playcast. Uh, you can reach out at, no, I'm sorry, it's Silver Linings Playcast. Silver Linings Playcast, S-I-L-V-E-R-L-I-N-I-N-G-S-P-L-A-Y-C-A-S-T, Silver Linings Playcast at gmail.com. And we one, we would be happy, so happy to have you on the actual podcast. I promise I won't delete the audio from that. But if I didn't, um, you, you could be on with, with my two buddies, too. Two. Two, as in... T-W-O, my two buddies, and T-O-O-2 as well. You could also be on as well with my dos muchachos. Um, all right, and and when I was thinking about some of the great conflicts in the world going on right now, like between me and a New York Times critic and people that believe in a flat earth and people that don't, and Russia and Ukraine, it started making me think, you know, I, I was going over the list of movies that are uh, over overrated by audiences or underrated by critics, depending on how you want to think about it. And then I was thinking, um, you know, the, the heart of story is conflict. The heart of story is, is uh, a journey, a hero's journey, a story circle, uh, a three, three act structure, a cat of needing to be saved, uh, a 27 chapter, 27 chapter 
format. There's a lot. There's a lot. And so I wanted to go over some of the the stories, the historical context for some battles that were overrated. Maybe there were bad chapters in the history books. And you're, you're going to find a lot of common themes throughout here, such as uh, the history was wrong or, you know, history was written by the victor. Um, maybe things just weren't as important as people make them out to be, which is really interesting if you take that context for, like, the way that Pat is seeing the battles he has in his head when he gets out of the mental hospital, you know, he, he feels like he has these tasks he has to accomplish. He has to get in shape. He has to, you know, in the book, get bigger arms uh, because Nikki likes men that have big chests, big muscular chests. In the movie, it's more aerobic exercise. He's jogging, he's trying to get fit, but he, there's really not the same emphasis on aer aerobic exercise. I think he only does push-ups that one time at the beginning when his mom comes to pick him up. But uh, he's waging he's waging this battle to get Nikki back. And it turns out that's not the war he needs to, to be fighting. It's not the war he's engaged in. It's not the war he won, wins. Spoiler alert. Pat wins a war. A war of himself. So we're going to go over some more literal wars with overrated battles. You'll understand what I'm talking about pretty soon when we start off. Number one, again, again, maybe I need to, I need to talk to somebody who is a list expert because I am sort of not getting this concept about, I always thought you counted down. I always thought you started with 10 which was the least impressive of facts, and then you, you know, arrived at number one, the biggest, the best, and if you, and I, and you know, you know what can confirm this, again, not science, but clickbait articles. If you like to follow articles like BuzzFeed lists, which Game of Thrones character are you, uh, what kind of sushi describes your love language, uh, if you were going to date a cat, what species would they be? those kinds of lists, they always, they always want to keep you going. They always want to generate ad revenue by getting you to stay on the list longer and click further because I believe every time you click on them, they refresh and it shows you a whole bunch of ads again, which may be the same or different depending on what it, that's beside the point, right? So, you know, lists to me, Countdown lists that you're presenting to people always should should start, in my opinion, from sort of the most mundane to the most grandiose items on the list. And I do think that that is what has happened on this list. But I think when people write articles on lists, sort of the non-clickbaity articles, the more scientific, the more technically correct approach to writing lists of facts for people is... Um, they tend to list them in order in the way I think of a normal list. Like when I'm listing things off, if I'm listing things off to myself and I know everything that's going to go on the list, I list the most important thing first because it's sort of like a priority list. You know, if I'm going shopping and I'm going to do chores, I am going to write the most important one, number one, because that's where my focus is. I don't even need to think about the second one until the first one is accomplished. I'm not always that strict with myself. But that is a general, a general way that I go about this. And so it's definitely a thing 
where I think I need to figure out, I need to do some research into lists. If anybody has any opinions about knowledge, if, if there is different definitions of different kinds of lists, maybe you could make a list of listing techniques. Maybe we could have a countdown of the top 10, uh, you know, most popular listing techniques. Maybe we could have a count up from, you know, in a, in a very clickbaity way of like, these lists are the most important lists and you're never going to believe number seven, that kind of list. But anyway, so what we're doing is we, today we have a list. I'm going to call them by their number because they come from a pretty established history article. When I say that, I'm not familiar with the website, but I checked out the credentials of the author and they seemed like a pretty reasonable person. They are a history professor at, uh, at a, um, an Angel Ruskin, uh, university in England in the UK. So, um, which, and then, so I didn't stop there. I checked out to see if that was a real school because I didn't know. I know there's a lot of fake schools over here, but that is a pretty uh, accredited and well thought of school over there. And then I checked out my source of the rankings for the, uh, the colleges. That's where it started to get a little iffy because I wasn't really sure. It's much harder I'm, I know I'm sounding ridiculous. I know I'm sounding like I'm trying to be funny. If you can follow me along with this, you'll understand my problem and why this literally is the situation we have now. A lot of people need lists of colleges in ranking order, even though they're very subjective and different people get different things and there's, there's arguments about whether these things matter or not. Um, ranking, ranking schools against each other uh, when people apply to go to university, when they apply to go to college, it helps, it helps get a general idea of reputable. It's a really weird thing because there is accreditation and basically everything that is accredited should meet a certain basic standard of academic excellence, uh, scholastic professionalism. But we all know uh, there's there's um, you know there was huge lawsuits against uh, I, I believe I, ITT uh, DeVry, um, which was supposed to be a trade school, uh, a trade college. I I'm starting to remember, and I don't I don't even know. I I I wish I had been off the record for saying that because I'm not sure if that's accurate. It wasn't the, the, I believe the lawsuit was not that they, uh, are not good. I believe it had to do with their accreditation. I believe this podcast is not accredited. So please don't take anything I'm saying as gospel. I, it's an example though. Um, I know that the military veterans who have tried to use their Montgomery GI bill, benefits have had issues with the accredited with with accredited schools because some schools have been scamming what is the definition of accredited accrediting a institution of higher learning continuing education right so you see there therein lies part of the problem i had 
in vetting the author of this list. But I think we I think we can probably all agree, and if we can't, come at me. But um, you know, we can all see the whether whether you see the necessity of it. There is a valid reason for college rankings to exist, even though I, I've I've heard that's a little bit of a scam too because of how much businesses businessy colleges are. Uh, everybody go to a a community college, go to a state school, save money, go to a public go to a public college if you want to go. And I'm not saying not to go, and I respect people to go, and I respect highly people that don't go. Two, it's very much a choice. There is nothing. There is nothing in the world that uh, makes somebody who has gone to uh, an institute of higher learning uh, a more valid person who's made a better or worse life choice than anyone else. And I really hate that we sort of have a culture that I think actually holds the idea of college up too high. Uh, a lot of a lot of them are made. Just to have this continuing cycle, it's sort of the education pyramid scheme. Like, like you know, you definitely, you have, also it's based on, like, you have degrees that serve more, uh, you know, more of a purpose than others. You have people that are trying to go into medical school. You have people that are trying to go to law school and get accredited in those specific fields, too. And they need accreditation, and we could go off on that whole topic <coughs> of accrediting different professions that like it and it's not even actually those either because if you realize uh you have to have a a license by the state i don't know if this is all states but i know most states you need to be accredited by the secretary of state as having gone to an approved uh hair school if you want to cut people's hair and i am 100 for the training and the testing on that uh i I just, I know that firsthand. Actually, I probably should have used another example uh, that I was involved in. I got my my EMT certification in Massachusetts back in the early 2000s. Um, and it is a weird, weird system because there is something called the National uh, Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians, which is a... it. It covers the scope of the country, but not every state adheres to it as the standard for which you you need to uh, be certified to practice uh, EMT-ness, paramedic-ness in that state. I believe at the time, again, I am just estimating, but it was, it was something like 26 states took uh, NREMT registration as their state registration. Many states take it where where if you get certified through them to get the NREMT cert, you can perform. It's transferable to other states that are also going off the national registry. Uh, now, that is also a minimum requirement. So there are some states in which you, even if you have uh, the NREMT you're still going to need to get some type of education. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. It's not just like a two standard of either you need to get the local or national. There is a bunch of different different uh, requirements for different states and such. Um, 
So I was in Massachusetts, which uh, went off of the Massachusetts uh, uh, requirement. And the thing that sucked about it, I believe, I believe they left out one thing in their test, and I think it was inconsequential so that the Massachusetts certification was not transferable to any other state and did not qualify you for the national. You could only work in the state of Massachusetts. And I'm remembering this, and I think it was inconsequential because I sort of remember my instructor who would sort of jokingly be like, unfortunately, we're not part of the NREMT, but if you want to go out for that test or you want, um, like the only thing really different between what we were doing and what they were doing was, and it, it might not have actually been like a level of uh, emergency medicine teching. Uh, it could have just been a, a different system. And this is the weird thing too that happens with the credentialing system. Not everything has to do with like better, worse, more or less. Sometimes, this is an example, okay? I am not a doctor. I am no longer certified as an EMT and I am not a barber. So this is not a fact at all. This is an example, analogy, a metaphor, a parable, an allegory. It is, this is a, a, I'm just giving you an example, right? So it's like, hey, the National Registry uh, says that all footballs will be caught. Um, to make it to make it a national standard, we're saying right-handed. Uh, and then Massachusetts comes along and says, like, we also know the importance of catching balls, but we we want everybody to be tested on left-handedness. So we were just doing left hand. And then sometimes you have states that are like, hey, to get certified in the state, you need to be certified on both catching balls in your right and left hand. And let's uh, let's apply this to football. Let's, I should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> it's kind of a weird analogy if I'm not putting it in some type of context, right? But, uh, you know, so, so say you have some states like Vermont. I don't know if Vermont is harder, easier, or the same as the uh, NREMT, but... You know, some are like, just let's let's have people test on both right and left hand, which there uh, retroactively qualifies them to be certified for the NREMT. And yet still, still you have states that, and this is part where I'm guessing a little bit from my memory, but I don't know if this part is true at all, um, where they may have their state testing regulations. Uh, the requirement is as strict and the same as the NREMT, and yet they just haven't partnered with the NREMT, so you can get certified in the state, but if you want the national, you still have to uh, either find a, a testing uh, premises that that will test you according to the national standards, or you can just do the state one. And I'm saying that as that is kind of a scam, right? I don't like that. And the reason the reason I always thought it was funny about the the haircutting, the barbers, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that I I realized there it it was because I mean anybody who's gotten a haircut at a place you've probably seen if you if you look ahead at the at the uh, stand where, where you're getting your haircut on the mirror, 
your barber, your hairstylist, they don't know what they, the term they most like to have used um, because I'm oh, so unprofessional and I never get my hair cut. Actually, that's actually the main reason I had a mullet for a long time or I have long hair is it has nothing to, it's not even that I'm lazy. I don't like getting my hair cut. And, and it's not actually the act of getting my hair cut that I don't like. This is probably some psychological thing going way back. Cause I actually do like having my hair cut. I like the sound of having my hair cut. I like the sensation of having my hair cut. What I do not enjoy, because it makes me feel emotionally uncomfortable, I don't like when a barber at a chain, at a chain store, gets to know me. And this might sound absolutely ridiculous on my part, but I think, I think because there is something sort of intimate about about having somebody cut your hair, not just in a physical way, but also in like sort of a personal, because they're helping you shape how you feel about yourself. And they're really shaping how you see yourself. And I don't, I don't even care about my hair that much, but I mean, I think about like you, you know, they always ask you, what do you want? And they have the skill, they're the gatekeeper to a skill. And it can be very frustrating sometimes because you, you can like picture what you want. You can take pictures in what you want. And, and those of us ourselves who have hair and get hair cut may even have different standards in how well we're able to communicate what it is we want, what it is we envision. If you do care about your hair, if that is an important thing to you and you wanna look good, uh, and I think everybody looks great, you all look great. But if, if you feel like having your hairstyle in different ways to different degrees of professionalism is important, uh, your, your personal ability to communicate what you want done, there's varying degrees of that. We could probably make different lists of, of how well you do that. And if like you don't, if you don't care about that too, which is, I, I feel like I fall on that spectrum, but all the, you know, then then you know it's not as important. And then comes the third situation in which you care greatly about uh, how, how your hair looks and your, your barber's ability to basically create that image of you that you have for yourself. And now you are either good or not good at, in, at communicating what you want there's a whole secondary variable, which is their ability to interpret what you're communicating to them, right? So you have lots of variables in getting a haircut. And we're not even talking about the uh, physiological, the biological um, differences in hairs. I'm not sure which which discipline of academia would would cover hair science. It's It's like, you know, physiology. Maybe, um, biology or physiology, uh, something like that. Um, I come from Asia and, you know, barbers that know how that work with a lot of Asian clients are better at working with Asian clients if they are good learners, because our hair is a little bit different. Uh, the more, uh, 
the more Anglo you are tends to come from geographical locations where genetically people have more oval shaped hair. It's a little thinner. Like we think of it all as a circle, but like at a microscopic level, uh, most of y'all's hair is probably a little flatter. There's, there's a wider side and there's a smaller side, even though it's curved at the ends. It's not square. It's not a box, right? Whereas Asian hair comes from people who are geographically, uh, you know, genetically more likely to have more circular hair. And from what I understand from my talks with, with both a few Asian people who knew about getting their hair cut and from the people I know who are people that cut hair saying that that makes it a little, that, that having more circular hair makes it a little stiffer. It's a little harder to work with, with sort of the American standards of what, what looks good with hair. It's harder to dye. Uh, it's sort of amazing that I think there was, there was a big stereotype of Asian people having a lot of colored hair because their hair is some of the hardest to dye different colors. Because for some reason, and I don't, I didn't learn anything. The only lesson I got on hair biology was about the shape and the physical structure of it. I don't know anything about the chemical composition uh, or the chemical reactions that are going on. So that might have a totally different effect on what's going on with hair dyeing. But, you know, so you have, you have different skill levels with people within this trade. And, oh, the whole, the whole reason I brought this up was because I was going to say, so, so, yeah, I was looking. And, and you definitely have to be, at least in the states that I know of, I'm guessing this is a national thing. I hope, I hope they have a better system than the EMT system. But uh, you have to be uh, licensed, certified as having... Completed a minimum amount of basic <coughs> basic trade training <coughs> to work as a barber. And so, yeah, looking back, and then I learned that again uh, because I've, had, I've known several barbers over my life. And the time this really became relevant was when I went to a store. I was looking to get a hair dye. I had gotten a boxed hair dye out of probably a Walmart. The first time could have been a CVS, uh, might have been a Walgreens, could have been a Rite Aid. Um, I don't think I was up in New York, so it probably wouldn't have been a Dwayne Reader. Uh, it was a long time ago. It possibly could have been an Eckerd's. It might have been at a grocery store too. It could have been at a Kroger or um, Harris Teeter if I was in Georgia. Uh, it could have been if I was up in New England, uh, a Star Market. Um, a Shaw's, I don't believe, it. <coughs> I don't, sorry, I don't believe it was my first time getting hair color, uh, in the Midwest or anything, so we're just gonna stick with, it was probably one of those, um, it could have been at a salon, to, no, no, I think it was definitely at a Kroger, and I think it was at a Kroger, uh, where I got it is not important, anyway, I got it, and it was, it went fine, it was all right, it didn't last long. That was my problem. And so when I uh, was first able to talk to a professional about how can I get my hair to last longer, their recommendation was you go to a, their, 
there is salon goods stores. Uh, goods that are specifically for, uh, you know, hair, hair tradesmen and women, hair, hair, hair people. Um, and so like one of, uh, I think one of the ones is, uh, I, what's it called? Um, salon centric, salon centric. Uh, there's, you know, there's also, uh, Sally Beauty products, which I go there a lot. I think, no, okay, okay, okay. You know what? I messed up. My apologies. I did not get my first hair dye at um, at a drugstore. I got the first time I ever w went to a Sally Beauty supply. I got, that is where I got my first hair dye ever. I got Manic Panic. And I got uh, a violet color, and it was disgusting, but it made me happy. And I got, so the, that, that will sort of play into this story a little bit. And that is one of the reasons why I did not realize, and here's what I did find out. So apparently at all these stores, there are some items which you are allowed to buy as a civilian, a non-registered with your state hair maintenance and crafting and cutting professional, a barber, a stylist, a colorist, right? Um, which I didn't know because I, the first time I walked into Sally's, saw what I wanted, bought it, boom, done. I went to Salon Centric, tried to buy some hair Bleach. It's not called bleach. A toner and a lifter. A toner and a lifter. Right? And they said I needed to provide my state certification number. My state license number. I didn't have one. How do I get one? Well, wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, a lot of times they don't... No, never mind. Uh, you have to go... You have to go to an accredited school with the state and pass the test, and then you can get one. That's the only way. I was thinking, hypothetically, I'm not endorsing it, not endorsing this, not endorsing this. This is a hypothetical, this is a hypothetical, this is a hypothetical. Also, I, because I'm not a licensed lawyer, I don't know if saying these things three times has any more legal weight than if I had not said these disclaimers at all. This, what I'm about to say, is an illegal idea, and I do not condone it. I am not suggesting it. I am not using it. I simply pointed out the fact to myself. I made the realization if I had to go to an accredited school, get certified, pass a test, then that would um, that would make it very uh, difficult for me to get that. That would mean that it would take anywhere from six months, uh, maybe longer, maybe shorter, depending on how long the school is, to actually get a hair license, right? Now, in in different states, this is another, we're going to go into the licensing thing again. There are different laws for different states on, and this is the part that I was disclaiming earlier, to get a gun. I was saying, hypothetically, not that anyone should ever do this, and I hope nobody ever does this. But if you wanted to, 
it would be faster to get certified to get your weapons permit in most states and then go hole up the store as opposed to going and buying it the legal. I'm not sure if that even matters. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I brought all that up. We are gonna we are gonna hit back on everything in order. I promise everything had a reason. So we were talking about trade school certifications. So so we I think we all agree, right? That there is there is some validity in why there might need to be a college ranking a college ranking list. Um, then that is for people that go to schools. And that is where I was able to check on the credentials of the author of this article that I'm about to read. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, they usually put the, the author's bio information and sources at the bottom of reputable science, history, philosophy, you know, uh, academically minded articles. And so they had that there. They had him as being an accredited professor at, and that's where I checked the university to make sure it was real. And I checked it on the list and the list was saying, yeah, this is, this is pretty reputable. Then that is where I had the question, well, you know, what would stop somebody from making a list of just making a list of all the fake colleges are real colleges and ordering them in any way you want. There's really no difference in the, the validity. How do I check on the validity of a college ranking list? And that is the level that you can, you can find a couple sources, but at this point I thought I had done enough research because it is not a topic that really applies to anything we're going to need to talk about, I don't believe, other than this one episode. Uh, so, because I'm, like I said, again, I'm not trying to be crazy. I'm not, I'm not trying to just make up uh, the, the madness of like going down a, a rabbit hole uh, about all the different types of lists you can have, you know. Who, who's going to make a priority list of the priority lists to rank the priority list of colleges? And then how do you know that that's an accredited? Just sort of look for, look for some sort of citation. Google, Google the author two, once, twice, maybe three times if you can find. You just kind of generally have to decide for yourself whether you think they're a real person or not, and whether you think they're credits or not. And I maybe I'm just a little more sensitive to this because I have plenty of articles and credits all over the internet. Um, none of them particularly impressive, like most people haven't seen most of them, but there's plenty of them where I'm totally uh, not really uh, being a real person or not accredited to talk about what I'm talking about. Like with the two guests that are... Uh, we're supposed to be on this episode. They're even still in the title, and unfortunately they are not on this episode because I'm not a, a professional podcaster. Do I take it professionally? No. But am I certified? Uh, also, no. Uh, would I like to be? I don't, I don't think so. That's not my goal. My goal with this podcast is really... I know, you know what? We never talked about the mission statement 
of the Silver Linings Playcast. I mean, we talk about it as being, as far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. So, I mean, I think in some ways we sort of are becoming the authority on secondary sources about Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, I w- Maybe that's what we should do, compile an article of all the articles that we can find on Silver Linings Playbook. And anyway, uh, yeah, so I think I think this list is all right. Let's start off with number one or number 10, and it'll give you a good idea what kind of what kind of things we were talking about on the lists. Number one, Julius Caesar's invasion of Britain, 55 and 54 BC. So Julius Caesar, um, I'm being so stupid right now. I can't remember. He's Roman, right? Roman Caesar, Caesar Roman. Julius Caesar, uh, Roman Empire, invades the Britons. Uh, J.C. sent his army to punish the Britons for assisting the the uh, Gaelic tribes during their conquest of Gaul. So apparently the the Britons had assisted the Gaelic... Yeah, I, I wrote that kind of funny. So to be clear, Britain comes out of nowhere and starts assisting the Gaelic tribes as the Gaelics are uh, trying to conquest Gaul, which was in... 58 BC. If anybody's counting, we're going BC, so that is why the numbers are counting down. The the lower the number year is actually the more recent or the higher, which actually goes to show you that even uh, the list of time, the list of years can't decide whether it wants to count up or down, right? But Julius got mad and it's sort of like, ah, you guys did this. And it was, it's like a big historic battle in the history of war. But ultimately, it wasn't very important because he was just being on a power trip. And like that, he, like they were not invading Britain at the time, I think, or I could be wrong. I didn't write myself more notes because I wasn't sure how far I was going to go into assessing each of the stories. This is definitely one where I, as I wrote the list, I started writing more and more for each one of these to go more in-depth. So I think this is another reason why you should start with the most mundane topic and then work your way on to the most interesting and grandiose topic. But it's also really good to let people know what to expect. You might think it's not important to know whether your list is counting up or down. And if you're just a regular audience member, and I say audience member, if you're just a reader, if you're just somebody who's like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna listen to this list. I'm going to read this article. That's fine. And maybe it'll be a little anticlimactic, but you get all the information when I'm reading lists of like 10 movies, like horror movies, right? I don't... Sometimes I want uh, a countdown of the best ones that I haven't seen so that I can sort of prioritize if I'm making a list. But then sometimes there are some lists where it's like 10 movies you won't believe existed, <clears throat> 10 movies that you've already seen that had meanings that were different that will blow your mind. I don't really need them priority ranked, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going to go back and watch them in these different orders. That's really not the important part. 
for me. Uh, it's really more that I just get the information. So I'm fine with a much blander structure of a list. Um, but if you are writing an informational article such as this, like a historic one, and you're anticipating, oh, maybe other academics, maybe other presenters, other authors, other writers or podcasters may cite my list later. And they're going to record a lot of this information without really reading it too in depth and just sort of present it like their own ideas, which I'm trying to attribute is completely, but I forgot. I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, the actual article. Um, oh yeah, I, I think I didn't even tell you. <clears throat> this comes from a website called History Extra. Uh, HistoryExtra.com. It is a .com, but like I was saying, it seems pretty legit. A lot of the articles are written by uh, established experts in their field based off of the one article that I read. And it also looks like there was a lot of money and time put into it. And also there is a magazine, an actual real magazine, based on it. So I realize that those three things aren't necessarily the, like best backups of why something would be legitimate on its own. But that is what we're going to go with for the sake of now, because we've got a lot more information to cover. Okay. Number two. I th So I'm guessing this is the second lowest and most mundane example of an underrated battle in history. So, so, so we're all on the same page. I think that means it is, it is overrated. It is the most overrated in the top nine, but it is the second least most overrated in the top nine of battles in history. And that is the Battle of Bannockburn, 1314. Uh, in, uh, this is, you might remember this from Braveheart, the Battle of Bannockburn. Uh, burn. Uh, so, uh, the, this was a battle, uh, where Robert the Bruce claimed victory over the English and it was important, but it was not decisive. And that's one of the things I really want to drive home with this list that is very important to say, um, we're not making light of any of these battles. They were violent, terrible awful battles and war is a terrible thing. Uh, and so I don't think any of them were insignificant. No battle that causes loss of human life, no that causes uh, damage, no battle that causes psychological effects or historic effects is good. Um, but also like, so here's a, here's a weird thing we're running into good, bad versus important, not important. Are we counting up? Are we counting down? Uh, so, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying that this one is unimportant. I am saying it is the second least important of the most important nine top overrated battles that were not as important as history seems to say they were. Right? Get there. I'll say it slower. It is the second most. No, it is the second least of the most overrated battles. I'm serious. That's really what it is. 
based on this list. I am just passing along the facts of what I'm literally reading in front of my face. Bannockburn. Okay, so this was portrayed in the movie Braveheart uh, with, uh, you know, Sophie Marceau. And uh, there, was, there was some other famous people in there. Um, I think Sophie Marceau was the only person who I... Um, I only know from Braveheart... And she was in one of the Bond films. I think she might have been in the second Daniel Craig Bond film. Not, uh, not I'm, I want to say Goldfinger. Um, Casino Royale, which is really weird because that is uh, a remake of... Ooh, we should do a James Bond countdown film. Film countdown. Count up, count down. Bond. James Bond. Uh... I haven't seen the most recent one. A lot of us in there, too. I really wish that I had the professionalism to go back and take out all the uhs and the pauses and the weird stuff. Not going to do it. That's why I'm not professional and I would not get certified if there was a podcast certification. There needs to be, by the way, to keep things like me from happening. The movie Braveheart. Uh, Robert the Bruce was victorious over the English. Um, it was an important battle, but it wasn't decisive. It was a moral victory. And historians like to say that it was really the the turning of the tide. This is when uh, Scotland's winning declared their independence. But actually, the, from a military standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, uh, it was really not that important at a strategic level. Um, that, uh, let's see, uh, t- tactics, um, let's see, uh, there's, there's, and to specify, because I'm not sure everybody knows this, and again, I'm drawing, this, this was stuff I did learn, but I haven't discussed it, read about it, or talked about it in a long time, so I might have this wrong, but I think, I used to use the words like tactics and strategy interchangeably, so what, so tactics is when you're referring to like best practices of how to conduct combat on the ground at basically a soldier level, right? You have squad tactics and in the U S military, um, you know, you have a squad that's made up of about like eight to 12 soldiers, airmen, Marines approximately. So there's, there's staffing issues and specific, you know, but like, you know, um, in the army, when I was in, uh, you had a, a, a squad uh, was made of four four soldiers. You had a, a team leader who was basically the person who told told the team where to go. You had a, a grenadier. Um, you had a machine gunner, and then you had a rifleman. And then there was there was uh, fire teams A. And B, Alpha, and Bravo. And those two made up a squad. Right? And then there was a squad leader who would control both of those teams. So a lot of the combat in recent urban combat, urban warfare uh, wars has been fought at the tactical level with squad-on-squad combat. That is people. So then the word tactics actually refers to just a larger amount of soldiers. These are these are by officers that are maneuvering uh, not fire teams. A basically a tactic is something you could yell 
at a group of people talking out of the rodeo. Fire team alpha, lift and shift fire, bound around, like flank, flank them. Uh, that, that would be tactical uh, level. Um, what did we, what did we talk about comes after tactics? Uh, oh, oh my goodness. I just, I just said it not that long ago. Um, but when you're actually maneuvering, um, maneuvering whole units at a time. Now a unit is like, it's, uh, when I was in, we were, we were units of, so the basic structure of, of my military, and this is very, very vague, but it's also very Googleable. So then we had a platoon, which would be like four squads, and then you'd have company, which is like uh, four platoons, and then you'd have um, your battalion. There, you can look all this up. It's called, no, not going to give that out, even though it's not really, like, again, it's Googleable, it's open source. I just, I get kind of nervous about operational security even for that thing, right? So you have, um, so you start maneuvering differently when you start talking at the uh, next level up, which um, I'm, I'm not remembering. It's not strategy. What comes in between tactics and strategy? Ah, it's where you're, you're maneuvering um, units. So you ha might have like a whole company, an infantry battalion. Uh, anyway, you're maneuvering whole big groups of people and you're, you're operating on a larger space and you know, you're not just talking about a little sh literal street. You can't yell this. You're going to have to talk to the commanders and it's going to be put out at a plan level. It's going to be put out at the briefing level where our strategy, um, again, strategy is not the word though. That's too high. That's like bigger. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So strategy is then you're talking like the big level, like the D-Day invasion. Um, it can go all the way up. And each of these words has a different, uh, like a different echelon that it is referring to. Strategy is sort of like the overall campaign uh, of what, what your, the party that's engaged in the war the, the belligerent party, what their game plan is to win. And I wish it was, I wish it was game plan. I wish it was tactics, strategy, game plan, but I'm missing, I'm missing the middle echelon word for this. It would, word would sound a little bit nicer, even though it's one of the worst things in the world, but it would sound a little bit nicer if you had like, what's, what's the game plan generals? Um, so anyway, yeah, that's the, so Bannockburn was uh, failed basically by the English at a that level that I can't remember because Robert the Bruce set a trap and basically uh, the the king of England at the time King Edward II was one of the least thought of kings of all time. He was, he was not a military genius. He was not a strategist. He was not a tactician. Am I making up that there was another word in there? 
anyway, he, so yeah, um, he definitely was all those things, uh, not, not very good at his job. So, so what this historian is saying is that basically, uh, given, <clears throat> given how the battle transpired on the field, it, it's not that it was a, a great victory. It was a technical victory for Robert the Bruce, but um, <clears throat> it didn't take a lot of skill, I guess. And I don't want to say a lot of skill. I, I, I think that was where the discrepancy comes in this battle, why it's overrated. It has to do with a lesser general, a lesser commander, leader, could have probably gotten the similar results for the Scottish. So even though Robert the Bruce did a lot of good stuff, if you side with the Scots, a lot of bad stuff. If you side with England at the time, um, it it wasn't like a all landmark of military achievement. As opposed to the first one, which may have been a great battle, but was overrated because it was not important. And, wow, we really did not get through a lot of it this week. Because we are only at two, which leaves seven more in the countdown and one more in the count up. Um, but I'm really tired. You can probably hear me losing my voice a little bit. So I don't want to hold you guys up. I want to thank you. I want to apologize again to Nick and Conrad for not uh, me not coming through with getting their audio on there. Um, next week, we will burn through so fast. We will burn through so fast. The seven more on the countdown, one more on the count up, and then the 18 more on the countdown or up, depending on how you count it, of movies that were rated more highly by audiences than they were by critics. And then we will we'll talk about what I've been trying to get to for three, three weeks. Not for the duration of three weeks, because like I've said, it's been longer than a duration of three weeks, but three weeks worth of podcasts discuss why Silver Linux Playbook is definitely one of those movies that was was loved more by audiences than it was by critics, even though it was loved. I want to say it was loved by both, but I think it was also underrated by both. So we got a lot of lists to do. Let us know what kind of lists are your favorite. What are your favorite listing techniques? What makes it easier for you to listen to our listing? If you can remember the word in between tactic and strategy, as far as, as echelon size of military unit or maneuvering is concerned, uh, let us know. Also, if you are the critic in the New York Times or New Yorker, I don't remember, who had a a article a review about Silver Linux Playbook that I found uh, very contrary views myself towards yours. Uh, hit me up, come at me with any of those. Until next time, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be here next week and every week as long as I continue to keep doing this with the latest and all, you know, all the stuff Silver Linux Playbook and the Silver Linux Playbook. The book. Until next time, we will say, uh, see you down the road and excelsior he's kind of crazy she's a little insane keeping energy really messes with his brain one is the forest the other's husband is dead that's why it's so messed up in the head it's a silver linings play cast